0: Hello, I'm Dr. Amalia Gonyas-Malka. Welcome to Humanity, Woman in Unity, the show that celebrates women's milestone achievements in their struggle for liberation, self-emancipation, human rights, democracy, and much more. Joining us today is Dr. Joanne Madurey, who is an anesthetist who works at a practice of anesthesiologists in KwaZulu-Natal, Dr. Jones, Bagwan and Partners, which provides comprehensive anesthesia services, which includes intensive care support to a variety of medical specialists in the KwaZulu-Natal Midlands region of South Africa. Welcome to the show, Dr. Madure. It's great to have thank- you. Thank you so much. It's lovely to be here. To begin with, Anesthesia is such an integral part of surgeries, whether it's joint replacements, removing diseased tissues, uh, having organs transplanted. Importantly, alleviating the pain as well as the sensation of undergoing those procedures to patients is incredibly important. There are various types of anesthesia from general to local to regional, each requiring a different set of skills and drugs to achieve the required level of sedation. Please, can you tell us about a couple of your most memorable experiences in theatre?
1: Sure, Amelia. So, um, you know, I think that for any doctor, um, the things that go badly generally stick in your mind more than the things that go well. So so we come across a, a variety of very life-threatening situations, um, almost on a daily basis. Um, But not to dwell on those. I'd rather tell you about things that have happened um, in theater that have been interesting and even funny. So I was once um, resuscitating a patient and transporting him into the theater. And uh, when we got there, the cardiac surgeon had no assistant. So I had to be his, his assistant. So I ended up actually participating in the surgery, <laughs> while someone else gave the anesthetic. So that was quite funny to all of my colleagues, because I'm definitely not a surgeon. So that was quite interesting. And then I must tell you about my second day um, as an anesthesia trainee. Um, the senior consultant that I was working with had his back facing the patient, and he we suddenly hear the sound of the monitors, which is what we listen for all the time as an anaesthetist. And it just went dirt, 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 and the patient was asystolic. That means a flat line, you know, to lay people. And all he did was very calmly turn around, thump the patient on the chest, and the heart rate came back. And all he said to me was, that could have ruined my morning. And everything went back to exactly the way it was before. Mm -hmm. So I learned... I learned quite a lot from that experience. I learned how to be calm under pressure, and how to maintain, um, you know, a feeling of calm in the theatre for others, so that everyone doesn't start to panic every time something goes wrong. And I think that that's really what the job is about. You are in charge of that little area, and it's important for everyone to be calm and um, know that you're in, you're in control of the situation at all times. So I think that's a very integral part of being an
0: anesthetist. The thing that strikes me as you were talking is the teamwork dynamic that you work in your area of specialisation, but at the same time you work with uh, other people in in their areas of specialisations, and that you're not. Um, allocated solely to one type of functional area. I mean, you could be doing um, cardiology, you could be doing uh, obstetrics. It doesn't matter. You as an anesthetist are are required across such a a wide variety of different disciplines.
1: Yes, I think that's one of the most interesting things about anesthesia. You know, I've heard it being said that anesthesia is 99% boredom and 1% panic, and um, all I have to say to that is panic. Uh, panic is highly overrated. <laughs> We're quite happy to be bored in our little corner. It means that everything's going well. But I'm glad you brought up the teamwork dynamic because it is really so important. Um, we work with a variety of different surgeons, and um, the work is never the same from one day to the next. So we we anesthetize babies as small as um, one week old or even even premature neonates, which are from 26 weeks in utero, uh, to patients that have been over 100. And um, so, you know, those dynamics are very different for each of those patients. And then the types of surgeries also are extremely different, varying from one to the other. So orthopedic surgery is very different from cardiac surgery. And neurosurgery is completely different from obstetrics, like you said. So it's never the same from one day to the next. Um, So the team is very large, and and all the members of the team are equally important to the patient having a good outcome. So it's very important to be able to work in a team as an methotist.
0: Given the scope for variety in your role, do you think that that is one of the factors that came into play when you were deciding to choose your specialisation? I think it definitely
1: was. Um, The other interesting thing about our practice in particular is that we service um, about five different hospitals in our area, Um, some of them are just specializing in eye patients, ophthalmology. Uh, we have a plastic surgery um, specialized clinic that we service. And then of course, mainstream hospitals. And then, and then of course, ICU is a very big part of our work as well. Um, and I think that definitely does suit my personality. I like to meet different people and you know, not be in the same area all the time. So it gives
0: you a nice variety and keeps your day interesting. And in it any Given week, how many surgeries do you participate in?
1: So we actually do keep numbers on on this sort of thing. So um, we, I do personally, approximately eighty to hundred anesthetics a month. So yeah, so it's between twenty and twenty five a week.
0: It definitely keeps you busy. It definitely does. <laughs> you shared with us some memorable moments. Uh, earlier, can you tell us about a few milestones in your career so far?
1: So I think that definitely becoming a fellow of the College of Anesthetists is a huge milestone for any specialist, you know, um, it's a very difficult and grueling exam to take. And, and it, it definitely takes it out of you. I was doing this while trying to arrange a wedding. And, um, you know, it's really sort of taught me that you have to be completely and 100% committed to what you're doing. And it can be quite difficult at times. I think it was one of the most difficult things I've had to do. So that was definitely a milestone. Um, And then uh, joining a private practice, that was uh, a new experience. Um, I think working in the state is a completely different animal from working in private practice where you are independent. uh, You have uh, fewer people to rely on um, when when things aren't going as smoothly as they should but luckily in our group practice we we support each other very very well and um so some of that you know is alleviated by the fact that I've got partners uh, and then another milestone this year was that I got to work with Gift of the Givers in one of their collaborations so I was very very pleased uh to be able to do some work for them and I hope that there'll be more of that in the future
0: Thanks for walking us through some of the milestones in your journey. You're listening to Womanity, Woman in Unity. And today we're talking to Dr. Joanne Modere, who is an anaesthetist in South Africa. We would love to receive your comments on Twitter at WomanityTalk. You spoke about the challenges of taking the exam and becoming a fellow. And one question that I often ask guests, particularly in the medical space, is about the ratio of women in a discipline in comparison to men plus also compounded is the fact that we do have a shortage of doctors and specialists in various disciplines within the South African space. There was a study done in 2019, which indicated that men continue to dominate uh, the field with 59% representation and correspondingly, 41% representation of women. What do you think are some of the dynamics and how are women represented within the uh, anesthesia space? So I think historically, um,
1: it hasn't been a speciality that women have chosen easily. Um, And I think that's really to do with the challenging nature of the after hours work. Uh, There is a lot of after hours work, you have to be able to drop everything Um, to be able to go out to your patient, and uh, especially if you're in ICU. So it tends to put women off from choosing anesthesia as a specialty. Having said that, uh, one of the things I was told when I was thinking of joining up as a registrar was that you can actually choose your hours. You don't have to, you know, you can choose that you want to um, work on a Monday afternoon for a certain surgeon. And... That's not difficult to do. I do have colleagues that have done that sort of thing, and they do manage it very, very well. I have chosen to be in a group practice and to uh, work full time, so my after hours is quite onerous, but you learn to work around it. I think it's it's difficult but but it's not unmanageable i've I've done it for fifteen years now and it hasn't been
0: it hasn't broken me yet <laughs> so negotiating hours of work is one aspect. What would you say have been some of the other gender challenges that you've experienced in your career? And I ask this really from a point of view of being able to share lessons with other women so that they potentially don't have to walk the same path that you took and they can uh, tackle the situation immediately. So, again, I must tell you a funny
1: story about – going to see a patient in, in in the ward and explaining, introducing myself firstly, and then explaining to him all about the anesthesia for his procedure, uh, from what to expect when you get to theater and what to expect during and after and a long detailed explanation. And at the end, I said, do you have any questions? And he said, yes, what time is the anesthetist coming? Oh, wow. <laughs> so I think that one of the challenges that I do have is that there are a lot of preconceived notions of what anaesthetists should be like and it's not just amongst men either you often get female patients say to you oh you're an anaesthetist I was expecting a man Um, and it hasn't changed in in a very long time so I hope that in the future it will be less like that uh, in the practice that I work in, uh, Jones Bhagwan and Partners, we have five ladies, um, which make up a, a quarter of the practice. So, um, so it is an unusual situation, but um, but it is it is great to have the female colleagues, and and I think the patients are getting more used to seeing us.
0: What do you think we can do to help overcome these types of of stereotypes?
1: So, I think that um, medical schools are are doing a lot to to enroll more girls. That's the first um, the first thing. And then I think making it easier in the workplace once you are in. Um, it's not so difficult in state practice to have time for maternity leave and things like that. Um, I was in private practice when i when I had to take maternity leave twice. My practice was extremely supportive of me. Um, it was the first time for them. They had to consult uh, attorneys and um, and labor relations people to work out how it was going to exactly uh, play out. But in spite of the effort, it was done. and um, I I managed very well and they managed uh, the whole situation very well. So I think in the workplace, you definitely need to have support from your employer or your partners in in my case. And I received that and it was it was really amazing and very
0: supportive of them so this is more of what we need definitely you've really demonstrated that it is doable and this is one aspect that I think women often have to contend with is how do you have a family life how do you have family and still have a fulfilling career
1: so it's that's a question that I get asked all the time and um I think there's never a right answer with that. There are times when I do miss my children's uh, sport events or something like that at school. But I think for the most part, I make up for that um, in the time that I do have off. And it's important to spend the time that you do have doing, uh, spend it, it must be quality time, the time that you do spend. And the kids need to also realize that I have a career which is important to me and important to other people. So I think that they've come to the age now where they understand that when mom goes to work, it's because there's something urgent happening and I need to leave the house at night. And they've, they've come to accept that. And I think they've got gotten to grips with it quite well.
0: I think that's a very important thing because often in a lot of the conversations we have, one of the aspects is about socialization, gender socialization. And already you shared your story of, when's the anaesthetist coming from a patient after you've explained the entire process? And if we don't have these episodes of socialization, then it means that the next generation is not going to be ready for who we are and and when women arrive. So I think it's a great thing from your kid's perspective to understand that mom is a professional and she is absolutely making the most of her career.
1: I think so. I think it's important for them as, as girls as well to realize that, you may have to choose that in the future and to see how you're going to negotiate that. So I hope that they're getting something out of it.
0: And last point on the medical side of things. Do you have any words of advice to girls and, and young women who want to follow in your footsteps and pursue a career in medicine?
1: I think that medicine needs Women, And we make a difference. We we bring a different dynamic to the patients. I've often been told, but doctor, you listened to what I was saying. Or um, especially in the case of ICU, where there's a lot of end of life decisions being made. I've had patients write to me afterwards saying, it was lovely to actually talk to somebody who um, had the time to sit with us or explain that to us. Uh, And I think that women are different when it comes to those things than men. We're not afraid to show a little bit of emotion. And I don't think that that's a weakness at all. If you're dealing with a grieving family who are, you know, about to lose their loved one, it's fine to show them that you're actually very sad about what's going on. And I think that men find that more difficult. So I think women bring that different dynamic to, to medicine, which is very, very important. And I think that in terms of being able to do the job, if you're skilled enough and you show that you, um, you, it's easy to show your worth when you know, when you've been doing the job for a long time, you've got lots of experience, you've got lots of skill. It comes across. So um, I don't think that th- there's any difference with that, really.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> So hearing some of the characteristics, we've got empathy as a distinctive trait of being able to be relatable to patients and to their families, especially when there is a potential loss of life. There is the the factor of discipline and skill and competence, which is equally distributed across both genders. You're listening to Womanity, Woman in Unity. And today we're talking to Dr. Joanne Moderay, who is an anaesthetist in South Africa. We would love to receive your comments on Twitter at WomanityTalk. Talk. In the previous section of the conversation, you shared with us aspects from a medical point of view, um, your path, your journey in your career, and also some of the the juggles that you have to do as a working mum. Please, can you share with us your top three tips to help women navigate and juggle their respective responsibilities?
1: I think it's really important that you know that you first of all have, and then you know your support structure really, really well. Um, and you shouldn't be afraid to lean on on people to help you. I have a lot of help. My husband is extremely supportive. Um, he often has to fetch kids from school, uh, do grocery shopping, deal with whatever's going on at home. And I know that he's, extremely supportive and he's going to be there to do those things. And it's an understanding that we have that if I can't do whatever it is, that he's going to take that role up. And I think other people rely on their parents, they rely on their in-laws to uh, fetch kids and things like that. And it's very important to to have that support in place if you're going to be taking on a career that is is demanding of your time. Uh, the second thing that I think that you really need to have is your own things that you like to do that un- that is not work. You definitely need to have the work-life balance in place. And I was told this when I first joined the practice by one of the partners who was about to retire. He said, take up a hobby. This is the best advice I'm going to give you. You need to find a hobby. And I took his advice. And uh, I have now quite a few hobbies, <laughs> too many actually. <laughs> but um, but I do love to paint and I love to uh, play the piano. And I also do a little bit of sewing. And these things are just really there for a bit of sanity space, just to to allow me to do something else that's not medicine and something for myself, where I feel like I've had the time to actually just um, debrief myself from the work situation. And I think that that's extremely important. And then of course, a lot of people find solace in exercise and um you know i'm a firm believer in the Latin saying mensana and corporosane sano," which i first heard an asterisk by the way <laughs> it's very important to um to exercise and keep yourself healthy and that that definitely goes a long way to making sure that that your mind is actually prepared for whatever you're dealing with
0: those are fantastic tips so we've got support structure incredibly important taking up a hobby for some me time and exercising for both sanity and peace of mind as well as as peace of body. As a gender-based program, we are constantly focused on the importance of building female leadership uh, for the future of women in our country and their respective disciplines. And A while ago, we had the former president of Mauritius on the show, Amina Garib Fakim. And one of the things that she spoke about was this idea of women in power having a greater impact than women in leadership on enabling women in our continent. How do you see the idea of female leadership or women empowerment or women in power, whether it's in the political space, uh, medical world, academic, or any other arena? I think that it's almost
1: the time for women now. Uh, if you watch on the television, you'll see that so many more women have become CEOs in places like Fortune 500 companies. The vice president of the U.S. is a, is a woman. Um, but it's still not enough. There are only twenty seven female heads of states in all the countries in the world, and um, I think the the CEOs of fortune five hundred companies make up less than twenty five percent of of the numbers of CEOs so although it's definitely improving, it's still not where it should be, and we definitely need to promote our girls to to aspiring to those roles and and becoming involved in these careers that uh, will put them in these key positions and i think that one of the ways to do that is to educate them to to start from a very young age inculcating in them the desire to want to do those those jobs. Uh, promoting things like the STEM subjects, you know, science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. I feel that this is definitely a very important sector. Um, the overall numbers of people that are actually um, going towards those careers is actually very, very few, especially in South Africa. I, I read an article about this very recently. So I think encouraging those educational sectors to promote girls and to push them into these careers is definitely the way forward. And I think I agree with um, um, the president of Mauritius, who who made that statement, because when women are in power, you can do so much more to uplift the women around you. Um, and I think that, that that's definitely the way forward. And although we've come a long way, there's still so much more to do.
0: Well, thinking towards the future, I mean, what world would you imagine for your girls when when they grow up?
1: I definitely want them to, uh, you know, they must pursue a career in in a field that they love, first of all. But I think my husband and I have already started grooming them to to be um, scientists and 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 look at. Uh, mathematics and economics and things that I, I may not have thought of myself when I was their age. Um, I think that there's so much more available for them and they need to take every opportunity and, and, and grasp it and, and run with it.
0: Medicine is an ever-evolving discipline. There's always new developments that are taking place and advances and and cutting-edge technology to understand how we can better combat disease and obviously attain better patient outcomes. What are some of your views about lifelong education for progression of a field and also as an individual to be at the forefront of your discipline?
1: So I think that continuing medical education is an absolute necessity. I don't think that it's possible to um, to be a doctor in this day and age and not do any continuing education because the fields are evolving so rapidly and um, almost every other month there's a new medication or a new procedure that comes on the market. So it's an absolute necessity as far as I'm concerned. Um, I think you have to keep pace with technology also. Uh, when I came through the registrar program ultrasound was only a thing that you did on pregnant women but we use the ultrasound in theater now on a daily basis so it's a it's a thing i've had to learn it's been a steep learning curve but you definitely need to keep up with the medical education and the technology that's that's coming into your field it's not negotiable
0: really that's such an important insight and attribute, this view of lifelong learning and remaining relevant in your discipline, in your field, so that you're continuously being able to achieve and and serve at the top of your game. You're listening to Womanity, Woman in Unity, and today we're talking to Dr. Joanne Modere, who is an anaesthetist in South Africa. We would love to receive your comments on Twitter at Womanity Talk everybody has a different path in life and sometimes that path has more deviations than than others. So one question that I ask all my guests is about some of the factors that they feel have contributed to their success. So often people will speak about a particular person in their life or a set of values, uh, faith discipline, perseverance. Please, can you tell us about some of the factors that you feel have really driven you towards your success?
1: Um, So I think definitely faith has a lot to to do with my success. I couldn't attribute it to anything else. I am a, a, a very firm believer in Christianity and I do pray and meditate a lot. And I find that that not only has helped me to um, to get where I am, but also to to centre me and to provide me with um, some support when I feel like I've had a bad day, or um, sometimes you just need in need of a bit of peace. And I think that that's what that brings. Definitely, um, there've been a lot of people along the way who've who've helped me and contributed to my success. Uh, I must say that when I was a registrar, I had a lot of support from other female registrars or female or junior female consultants. Um, Am I allowed to mention names? Yeah, so I had a particular consultant. Her name was Nikki Calafitis, and she was my mentor and guided me through. And I think that she really contributed a lot to helping me pass, number one, and also just helping me maneuver through the minefield of anesthesia. You know, it's a difficult thing to have to do sometimes. And it was just very nice to have somebody to guide you. And I think that she contributed a lot. And then of course, my mom, I have to mention because she was the kind of parent who taught us that you can do anything that you put your mind to. Um, And the sky's the limit really. You know so i think that i did take what she said very seriously and <laughs> i'm still trying all sorts of things that <laughs> that um, like i mentioned before there are lots of hobbies so i always think i can do everything even though the time doesn't always permit so my mom definitely was the kind of mom who pushed us to do things and um and work outside our comfort zone and i think that's really
0: contributed a lot And when you operate outside your comfort zone, that's where you really generate the elements of growth because you are forced beyond your comfortable boundaries. Definitely. I think that uh, challenges are always good wherever you are. And please tell us about some of the pivotal moments in your life when you were growing up. Um, So I
1: think that I grew up in a very um, average background home. Uh, My parents weren't weren't wealthy. Um, And I think that spurred me on to have more ambition. Um, So I think that it was important that you didn't, you weren't able to get things whenever you You know, I always say to my kids, whenever you snap your fingers. (laughs) And I think that's important. I think that uh, it's important to grow up in a disciplined home and to work hard for things. And I think that that's really shaped me as a person. Um, I also had a grandmother that I lost at a young age who was very strict about the way that we did things. And now that I'm older, I realize that it was actually... The things she was trying to teach us were work ethic and manners and speaking politely and all those sorts of things so i think that that's definitely shaped and guided me uh in my path and and i always um i'm grateful that i learned those things as a as a young girl
0: yeah strong attributes coming through from family values one thing that I wanted to ask you, and this is really because of the the period that we're currently into, which is the 16 days of activism against gender-based violence, which is an annual international campaign, which kicks off on the 25th of November and lasts through to the 10th of December. And we know that from a South African point of view that uh, GBV is a major issue that we still have to contend with. If there was one thing that you could change to, let's say, help alleviate GBV, what would that be?
1: I think that's a really difficult question. I think that um, I'll go back to what I said about girls being educated. I think that they they need to be, to be given opportunities. They need to be educated so that they can rise above their circumstances. And I think that for me, The things that are happening in the community like after school programs and little clubs where girls are taken in and shown how to do things um, whether it's making crafts or uh, taught to read books or encouraged to play a musical instrument this is the kind of thing that I think will will rescue some of those children from their their situations Um, and I think it will give them an opportunity to be out of their homes where this sort of thing might be happening. But I also think that for adults, a lot of women feel that they can't speak out. And and it just sets up a cycle of this kind of behavior and empowers the the person who's inflicting this sort of horrible um, stuff on them. And I just feel that, that they, they need to speak out. I, I realize that it's such a difficult thing to do. But but it's the only way, really, to um, to get to the perpetrators of these these terrible crimes. Um, it's a it's that's a very difficult question. I really wish that I I could do more. Um, but I, I really think that that getting girls out of that environment is really the answer to to some of those problems.
0: Thanks for that important reflection. As we wrap up our conversation today, please can you share a few words of motivation or inspiration that you'd like to pass on to girls and women in the continent who are listening to us today? Um, I think I'd like to say that you should never give up if if, if it's your dream to
1: become something or do something great. Uh, it's important to dream. Um, and it's also... Um, when your preparation um, meets your opportunity, and that's where you'll have your success.
0: So that's what I'd like to say. That's such a beautiful message. When your preparation meets your opportunity. Beautiful. Thank you so much for joining us today.
1: It's been an absolute pleasure.
0: You have been listening to Womanity, Woman in Unity, and we have been talking to Dr. Joanne Modere, who is an anaesthetist in South Africa.